Welcome to C3 Church Central Coast Sermon Cast. We pray that you'll be inspired and impacted by this message and trust that you're better equipped to live your best life. If you have a Bible, I want you to open it to the book of 2 Chronicles, uh, chapter 20. It's in the Old Testament. And the books, as you probably know, of First and Second Kings and then First and Second Chronicles list um, a whole bunch of history about the kings of Israel and also the kings of Judah because, as you probably know, the tribes of Israel, 12 original tribes, split into two groups. The 10 northern tribes ended up becoming known as Israel and they had a series of kings that were really not very good, not really keen on following God and the two southernmost tribes, Benjamin and Judah, became known as Judah. Uh, just before we look at Another one of these kings. I was thinking yesterday about how um, reading in the news different things that were going on. Regardless of your age and the stage of life you're in, you can have great experiences. You can make an impact. You can accomplish something. And right through the spectrum of different ages uh, throughout life. Uh, for example, uh, Thomas Trans. Toma, I think his name is, uh, uh, is a Swedish poet, and you may know that he just uh, won the Nobel Prize for Literature this last week at the age of 80. And so at the age when some people would be thinking of no further accomplishments, no great you know, achievements, here he is given this great award. Uh, and at the other end of the spectrum... I know Daniel, for, exa- for example, would know the name Cameron Waters. You may not know who Cameron Waters is, uh, so I'll tell you. He's a 17-year-old Victorian lad. He's got his L plates and he's uh, learning to drive. Uh, but he's also driving today as the youngest driver ever in the famous race at Bathurst. And so how cool is this? He said he had to drive at 80 kilometres an hour to the track and then he's allowed to go at over 300 kilometres an hour for a few crazy hours before he has to get out of his racing suit, back in his civvies and have to drive home at 80 kilometres an hour. You ever driven through a country town and you've been doing 100 and then it's 60 and you think, this is ridiculous, 60 kilometres, you feel like you're going backwards. You know, How would he feel going home to his country town, you know, having been belting around Bathurst at 300 clicks? And so uh, what an achievement for that young guy. And then you've got the midlife era. And that can also be a fruitful time. It doesn't have to be a time when all the achievements of the young days are forgotten and it's just leveling out, plateauing off and doing you know, very little. And even if it's tragically cut short, the middle years, like Steve Jobs, is just a classic example. You know, this co-founder of Apple Computers who died this week, only at the age of 56. And yet, uh, as you probably know, he has left a great legacy of, of invention and innovation uh, through all the Apple products and, and uh, you know, computer animation in the film industry and different things. In fact, he said, he's often quoted as having said, I just want to make a dent in the universe. I think he did that. Uh, but my point is that I think we can all do that in our own way. You may not be so famous. You may not have <laughs> gadgets that, uh, you know... Are, all over the world, like the iPhones and pads and pods and all the stuff that he's invented. Um, but we can learn from others to do what we should be doing. 
And when you read the Old Testament, particularly some of these kings in the Old Testament, you can see these mini biographies and you read about lives that, although they were so long ago, there's some things that relate to what we do and how we live life today. Uh, you see, you know, what did they do with their life? And so it helps us then reflect on, well, what am I doing with my life? And um, last week we looked at one of the kings of Judah and there was good news and bad news. And I, I, I think we, we started with the, um, uh, the, the good news and kind of finish with the bad news. But I want to do the opposite today. Uh, we'll start with the bad news and then find out the good news. And I want to look at King Jehoshaphat. And in Second Chronicles chapter 20, there's a passage in verse 31 that summarizes his life, as they often have a little um, epitaph about them. Uh, it says, Jehoshaphat reigned over, his, over Judah, I should say. Um, it says he was 35 years old when he became king. He reigned for 25 years. His mother's name was Azubah. He walked in the ways of his father Asa and did not stray for them. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. However, the high places were not removed and the people still had not set their hearts on the God of their fathers. So I said, I want to start with the bad news first. Jehoshaphat has got a couple of weaknesses and a couple of poor decisions that I want to note first. First one here is mentioned that um, he didn't remove the high places. And what was that? These were altars to false gods. And uh, the people had this constant conflict between faithfully serving the one true God or being led astray by these false gods. And some of these uh, false gods uh, had forms of worship that were totally depraved, like child sacrifice and, you know, you know really disturbingly bad stuff. And so uh, the good kings would lead people away from that and they would knock down these places of worship and say, hey, you got it all wrong. Worship the true God. And, uh, and in fact, one passage says that he did remove the high places. But, so when you read the different passages to put them together, it seems that he made some attempt to stop people worshipping these false gods. But he wasn't able to follow through and stop them rebuilding. Because there's always a temptation to worship something, anything, but God. Now, of course, in our society, we you know, don't have... Asherah poles and, you know, demonic faces. And if you go down to, as often, you know, I mean, they're around, yeah, sure. But if you go to Erin Affair, you know, you won't see people, you know, bowing down physically to some, you know, sacrificial altar and, and uh, laying sacrifices on, you know, a physical structure. But there's a spiritual lesson for us. And most of what we read in the Old Testament, physically, we see spiritual parallels in the New Testament warfare, uh, and in this case, worship. So we've got alternatives to God that are a little more subtle, aren't they? They're, they're more uh, unseen, but they're still false gods, idols, anything that you put between you and God, anything that you worship or sacrifice to or bow down or prioritize above God. And so that could be, you know, in our culture, it's often a materialistic kind of pursuit. It might be a specific thing like your GT Falcon, you know, or, your, or if you're a it's Bathurst, so you know maybe you're a Commodore man, and it's like, oh, I got my SS Commodore, and I just polish it every Sunday morning, and yeah, and for some blokes that's that's the thing, and then for ladies it might be, you know, their looks. It's just become a god, you know. It's like they're just unhappy with. They're always getting something sucked or improved or padded or, you know, 
whatever, you know, improve. And so, you know, hey, hey, drive a nice car, look good by all means, but but is it an idol? Is it something that I'm worshipping? Is it something I'm bowing down to? And, uh, And the lesson here is that there's quite a lot of diligence required to really not let the world's influence take away from our worship of God. And he made some attempts to it, but there's sadly these little, ah, but he wasn't able to keep the high places smashed, removed. There's a lot of um, uh, energy required to maintain. There's a war going on, and we've got to be vigilant to make sure the world is not influencing us, that we're not led astray. We can enjoy life. And, and you don't have to become a religious nutcase and never enjoy anything. Uh, but you just got to watch who's influencing who and what influence the world has on you. And, and, um, and also, I, my guess is that he had the people also who were always tempted to worship away from God and that he may have made an effort to remove these high places, but people would then be saying, oh, no, we're, we're building, is that okay? And we're really keen and we've got the ancestral worship going and, you know, Granny's pretty keen and so if you don't mind it. And he may have just thought, oh, okay, whatever, okay, you know. And so you've got to be quite vigilant if you've got influences of, of uh, you know, watering down, diluting the passion that we need to maintain for God. You know, oh, look, yeah, look, be a believer, go to church, but don't get fanatical, don't get too carried away, you know, when you're always reading your Bible, you know, and just a, just a, hey, what does the Holy Spirit say? You know, listen, and, and the Holy Spirit will say, yeah, do read your Bible every day, do tithe, do be committed, do get full on, be a fanatic if you like. It doesn't mean you're silly and disconnected from reality, it just means you're full on for God on the way to heaven, taking people with you. And so uh, there's, as I said, quite a lot of vigilance, I think, required, and we can learn from that, that um, you, you know, you've got to make a stand and not let other people influence you if you know what you believe in. You know, follow through, complete the task. And he made some attempts but appears not to have finished the task of absolutely getting away from the society, all those uh, you know, alternatives and distractions from God. The second big mistake he made uh, is that he made an alliance with Israel, the northern kings that weren't doing so well. And if you go back a couple of chapters, you'll see that he married into Ahab's family. Now, King Ahab was not a good guy. There's very little good, about it, nothing good you can read about him. He's the guy married to Jezebel. And, uh, and no matter what Jehoshaphat thought the political alliance might produce, he was linking his family to the most morally and spiritually corrupt ruler that Israel had ever seen. And so that didn't bless him. And you can read the repercussions of that. In fact, his son did the same thing. Jehoshaphat's son also married one of King Ahab's daughters. And, um, and then he ended up following, and you can read a couple of chapters later about his son. It says he followed Jehoram. He followed the ways of the kings of Israel which were away from God, the unfaithful ways of God. So he was influenced by a bad marriage, and he followed his father-in-law rather than his father. And so, uh, of course, the message there is you want to marry well. And so, Eleanor, I'm sorry. No, no, no. Choosing well. It's all right, Caleb. It's all good. Um, It's all leading up, this dramatic public. No, no, it's absolute confirmation. It's all very good. Just a joke. Um, sorry, I'm always looking for a joke at all 
inappropriate times. And so I promise I'm saying, in fact, probably that's why Ellen doesn't want me to do the wedding. I'm, I, I'm, I'm not allowed to do anything. I'm just walking down the aisle. Probably got, you know. And so, uh, I, yeah, that's right. I'm the father. That's So I'm, I, I, but she's, I think she's too afraid of me to say anything. Dad, just shut up, walk me down the aisle and then sit down. Right? And so no jokes. Right? Just have a nice proper ceremony. Um, and so, um, oh, then, then there's the speeches. Maybe I get to make a speech. So, so the message there is uh, whatever alliance, whether it's you know, marriage or you know, he was involved in, in marriage with one of King Ahab's daughters, but a political alliance, but whatever relationship, connection, whether it's a business relationship, a marriage relationship, you just want to watch who you're connecting with and what influence they've got on you. And so again, you want to make sure you're a positive influence on people and that you've got people being a positive influence on you. And if you've got people that drag you down, the classic case is I've come across people who give their lives to Christ and they've got friends who are in a most dramatic, obvious situation might be involved in drugs. Now, of course, they want to be a light shining. They want to be an influence. They want to be a witness. Maybe it isn't hard drugs. It might be, you know, just drinking too much grog, getting drunk, you know, and just, and you've got to watch that influence. And it's not that you want to cut away from those people and say, oh, you know, now some pious disconnected Christian, I'll never be your friends. But you've got to watch the relationship influence. And you may have to say, guys, I'm not socialising in that forum. You know, I want to hang out, come to church. <laughs> you know, but maybe I'm not going to go uh, to the pub on Friday, Saturday nights, whatever, because that's a temptation for you. And so you've got to watch the influence and the alliance that you have with people. So having said that, Jehoshaphat is still remembered as a good king. And that passage we read said that he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. So God gave him the thumbs up overall. And so I want you to notice two great qualities that he had in particular that gives him that uh, report of being a good king. The first one is that he sought God's direction. And in doing so, he listened to people. And there's a couple of examples of that that we'll look at. Um, a couple of chapters before we read there in chapter 20, if you go to Second Chronicles 18, you see an example of when he, he joined forces with the kings of Israel. So here's the king up north saying, hey, we've got a common enemy. I need your help. We're going to fight against these guys. Please come. And, um, and it says in verse uh, 4 of Second Chronicles 18, Jehoshaphat said to King Ahab, all right, he said, yes, yeah, I'm with you. Our people are connected. I'll join with you in the war. But it says in verse 4, but Jehoshaphat also said to the king of Israel, first seek the counsel of the Lord. So he's like, yeah, let's fight the enemies, but I want to find out from God how we should do it. I don't want to just presume that because I'm the king, I know everything. Even as a king, I want to get God's take on this. And how do I do that? I'm going to listen to God's men, God's appointed people. And they had prophets in those days who would speak and give advice and direction to people, even kings. And notice what happens. Ahab, he, he has a bad track record dealing with God's people and the men of God. He, he says, um, all right, sure. The king of Israel brought together the prophets, 400 men, and asked them, shall we go to war? against the bad guys, Ramoth Gilead, or shall I refrain? Go, they answered. God will give it, give it into the king's hand. What's happening here is Ahab has surrounded himself with a bunch of yes men who don't really hear from God. They're just too afraid to say anything that will upset the king. 
And so whenever the king says, I feel like I should go to war, do you think I should? Yes, yes, go for it. Yes, the Lord says you'll win. You know? And uh, he's really not in a place to actually hear something that doesn't suit him. And so he's not really listening to God at all. He's just asking these guys, shall I do it? And they're like, yes, or it's off with your heads. Jehoshaphat's onto that. He says, okay, okay, okay. This is, this is a waste of time. These guys are just, he knows what's going on. He says, is there really a prophet from whom we can inquire of? And then the king of Israel, Ahab, says, oh, look, there is one man through whom we can inquire of the Lord. You know, like, okay, there really is a true prophet. He says, but I hate him because he never prophesies anything good about me, but always bad. It's Micaiah, son of Imla. And the Jehoshaphat says, hey, you shouldn't say that. You know, you've got disrespect for the man of God. And that's true. King Ahab, he's like, oh, that's why he's got 400 guys that go, yeah, you can do it, king, you can do it, king. And there's one guy that hears from God. And because Ahab is such a drongo, of course, whenever he hears from God, you know, he says, well, I've got to tell it to you straight, king. God says, you're being an idiot. Oh, I hate that. So he doesn't want to hear this guy. But Jehoshaphat respects the man of God. He doesn't just want to have someone pat him on the back and say everything's good when it's not. Now, we all want to be encouraged. And I touched on this maybe last week or earlier in this series where we've got to be able to have people in our life who can tell us off lovingly. You know, the Bible says the rebuke of a friend is a good thing. Of a friend. (laughs) The rebuke of someone doesn't like you. Well, you can throw that down the toilet because they don't like you and you don't know where it's coming from and, you know. Especially if they're anonymous, you know, and you're just here on the grapevine or somebody said that, you know, hey, but if you've got someone who you're in a good relationship with and, and you know that they, you know, love you and have the, your best interests at heart and then they say to you something a little full on, then that can be great. That can be really helpful. And that's where Jehoshaphat was coming from. He was like, listen, I've got these men of God and I'm trusting that God will speak through them. And so, Bring it on. And the end result of that interaction was that King Ahab was killed in that battle and Jehoshaphat was protected miraculously. And so there's some pretty radical differences in how things play out when people are listening to God and listening to the people that God has in your life to say things or just going, no, 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 I don't want to hear. I just want someone to tell me everything's okay. And then later on, um, there's another uh, incident where uh, Jehoshaphat helps out Ahab's son. So King Ahab's son is now king of Israel, uh, and his name's Joram. And he also asks for help. And you read about this in Second Kings chapter 3. Je- uh, Jehoshaphat responds, and he says, yes, we'll come. And he gets his army, and they go marching out, and they march for a week. And the army, it says, has got no water left, and neither do the animals. So the king of Israel, Joram, he starts um, freaking out, basically. Oh, what are we going to do? And Jehoshaphat says, like he had said to Joram's father, hey, shouldn't we consult a man of God? You know, they're in a panic, they're in a problem, but let's find out what God says. So again, he respects the people of God that God has appointed in his life to say something, to give him advice. And in this case, it's Elisha, the famous prophet. And um, and Elisha comes along and uh, and and gives his his input. Just before I get onto what Elisha says, uh, you know, it's interesting that these kings were tested by hearing from men of God. Uh, 
because they're kings and they're like used to being in charge and yet here's some prophet coming in and sometimes saying with authority, thus says the Lord. You know, just flying in like this bloke this morning. You know, who does he think he is? He's got a fancy he's a nice shirt, by the way. He's got a birthday present, very nice shirt. So he gets up here and says, "The Lord says." You know, it's like, well, who are you? Well, that's prophecy. That's God speaking into someone's spirit and saying, "Say this to the people." You know, and uh, and then you get to measure it and you can deal with it. And the Bible says, "Test all things." You don't have to take it all on board, but neither should we just throw it out. And uh, you know, in these days. We don't have many kings, you know, in our society, and certainly in this country, we don't have any kings. There's not many left in the whole world. But all of us have a spirit of wanting to be our own king, don't we? I'm king of the castle. <laughs> You're the dirty rascal, you know. I'm the, uh, I'm, you know, we want to be our own boss and be our own king. And God wants us to be humble enough, like Jehoshaphat was, to actually take on board what other people would say, particularly when God's got a man or a woman of God in our life. Now, one of the most dramatic examples of this in my life was when Ruth, before she was married, made a commitment before God and said, God, I'm not going to marry anyone unless my pastors approve. Now, I didn't know that. And so I didn't realize that while I was trying to attract her attention and woo her and impress her, I was actually having to impress pastors Phil and Christine at the same time. It's a pretty tough gig. But that was a big deal. So she was basically thinking, I don't care how sweet, good-looking, charming, rich, whatever he was. don't know how many of those she got in the end anyway. But, um, but she was saying, but I want my pastors to approve because my pastors are godly people. They're hearing from God. They're praying for me. They're positioned in my life to give me a protective covering in a spiritual sense, and I'm going to go to them. And she did. And Phil, when she first asked about me, didn't know hardly anything about me and famously gave the... She said, so what do you think? So we were getting together. We, we, we weren't officially together. Like Dan and Jen know this at Bible College. You know, you're not allowed to start a relationship. So we were just getting to know each other and this chemistry and notes and just little, you know... Chats and no dating, nothing heavy, nothing serious, but it was just aware, you know, something was, she was aware. So, so she asked Pastor Phil, Phil, what, what do you think about this guy, Chris Brown? And he famously went, ah, oh, yeah, like this, the little shaky of the hand. You know? Ah. Oh. So he was, she was like, you know, the golden single girl that all the pastors were protective of, and so he, thought, oh, well, yeah, I don't want to rush into anything, you know, I don't know about this guy. The famous shaking hand. You know, yeah. Oh, yeah. So she went away that afternoon and was devastated. Thought, oh, God, I thought this guy was the right one, but if Phil does the shaking hand thing, that means it's not on. And so she went off. She was cleaning at the time. She told me later she was doing a cleaning job in tears all afternoon. Oh, you know. But praise the Lord and thanks to Pastor Phil. He did his research. He went and asked another pastor who knew me better because... You know, pastor of all the house churches, and I was running one. And he asked Mark Kelsey, what's his play? Ah, oh, got the thumbs up. So then Phil just caught Ruth's eye, as he can do in a very cool way. Just, uh, oh, what we were talking about the other day, it's, uh, it's all good. I think it's a good idea, you know. She's like, ah, you know. And it was back on. Yeah. So praise the Lord. 
But quite seriously, that is a good decision because, um, you know, if you're young and or single, uh, that's a good commitment to make. You know, your pastors and or your parents or godly people in your life that you can trust for their input, because, uh, you know, 25 years together next year, um, and around that time when we first got together, not everyone was doing what Ruth was doing and asking for pastoral advice, and not everyone's still together today. Because you can just find yourself caught up with, you know, exciting, infatuating, you know, sparkles of chemistry, of love, and all that stuff, you know, but there's, there's good, godly people around to give you advice. And, and not just in the relationship area, but all kinds of parts of our life, yeah? Um, so, uh, so Elisha, in this story back here, he, he comes along and um, he's had stuff to do with the kings of Israel, the northern guys, the bad guys. In fact, he remembers his mentor, Elijah, being treated very badly by this king's dad. Ahab was the guy that, you know, had Elijah nearly killed. And, but Jehoshaphat's reputation saves the day. Elisha wouldn't have helped out, wouldn't have given him any input. Listen to this. Elisha says, because they bring him along, they say, oh, can you help us? Give us some advice. Give us a prophecy. He says, as the Lord lives, if I did not have respect here for the presence of Jehoshaphat, I would not even look at you or even notice you. He's saying that to the king of Israel. And so you never know when a good character is going to come back and reward you. You know, Jehoshaphat had integrity. Again, he had respect for the office of God's people and the men of God, and that in turn earned their respect for him, which meant that Elisha said, if it wasn't for Jehoshaphat, forget it. But because of him, all right, I'll help out. And then he says, so bring me a harpist. And so they come along and play music, and under the anointing of the music, he prophesies, and they end up with a miraculous victory. And it's interesting the, the harp is brought in because there's something about music, isn't there? that uh, it, it stirs you and it moves you and it creates an atmosphere and, and we use it and embrace it and, and love it because God's anointing and the atmosphere and presence of God comes and, and it was evident even back then for the man of God to have that to be able to prophesy. Um, so, he was, so Jehoshaphat did well because he was able to take on advice, learn and listen to other people. The second great thing that he's known for is his understanding of the power of worship. And that's demonstrated in a very famous and miraculous way in this passage in Second uh, Chronicles chapter 20. We read at the end of that chapter a little bit about the end of, you know, the summary of his life. But earlier in the beginning of the chapter, you find out that the Moabites, it says in verse 1 of that chapter, um, the Moabites and the Ammonites and the Meonites came to wage war against Jehoshaphat. People came and told him and said, a vast army is coming up against you. So that's concerning, a vast army. And uh, it says Jehoshaphat was alarmed, verse 3, as you would be. But look what he does. He's alarmed, and so it says, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord. And he proclaimed a fast right through the whole nation. It says, the people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. And this is a good place to start, isn't it? And it's, it's so constant in the Bible, isn't it, that we see reminders that when you face a problem, 
start to pray, turn to God. And yet how often do we do that last when we should do it first? You know, we've got an issue, we've got a problem. It's like, oh, quick, and we run around and we try and solve all our problems. And then later on, we're like, duh, maybe I should pray. First of all, straight away, he says, wow, we've got a problem, we've got a vast army. Not assemble the troops, bring the generals, let's strategize quick, we've got to run out of time, how are we going to do I'm going to seek God. I'm going to, I'm going to, in fact, I'm going to get all the people. It says the people came from every town in Judah, and they all came to seek God. And then when they're all together, a guy um, called Jehazel, has, it says the Spirit of God came upon him and he prophesies. And he gets up and he says, listen, King Jehoshaphat and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says, do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army, for the battle is not yours but God's. Tomorrow, march down against them. They will be climbing up by the pass of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the gorge in the desert of Jeruel. You will not have to fight this battle. That's a weird prophecy. He says, take up your positions, stand firm, and see the deliverance the Lord will give you, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Go out to face them tomorrow, and the Lord will be with you. So there's the prophecy. Again, Jehoshaphat's willing to see, to, to hear what's God got to say. And God's saying it through people, through a prophet, through a man of God. So he hears that. He then addresses the people. And then it says an interesting thing, verse 21. It says, after consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed, and now you've got to listen to this. Right? This is the battle strategy. This is the fun. You may have heard this before. This is pretty, this has gone out in history as one of the most unique battle strategies ever. Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise him for the splendor of his holiness as they went out at the head of the army. And they were to say, give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. You're hearing this. As they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir who were invading Judah. And they were defeated. The men of Ammon and Moab rose up against the men from Mount Seir to destroy and annihilate them. After they'd finished installing the men from Seir, they helped to destroy one another. Now that is pretty cool. Notice a few things. Again, it says he consulted the people. So he's a leader, but he's taking advice. He's willing to listen. He's involved and connected. And that's our heart, you know, always in leadership decisions in this church. That it's not a, a dictatorship. Uh, you know, the ideal church government is, of course, theocracy. You know, God's in charge. But the Bible says we have the mind of Christ. And so there's got to be some, and there is constantly consultative processes in making big decisions. And, and Jehoshaphat demonstrated that. He's the king, but it says he consulted the people. He was willing to take on board what others had to say. And then notice, secondly, <clears throat> this amazing victory from this weird formation in their army. Now, we've got some officers in training here this morning from ADVA, and I'm pretty sure that in their military strategy classes, this is not a model that they follow. Get a band from a local church, maybe get some portable uh, equipment that's got power, or if not, just an acoustic guitar, uh, get the, you know, maybe a bit of brass from the army band and... And put them 
at the front of the army. And so there we send them over to Afghanistan and get the, you know, the Bushmasters and the Aslavs and the, the, you know, engineers with their mortars and everything. You all go at the back and we'll get, we're gonna, we find out, we do some research, any Christians in the army, any, oh, we've got a drummer, Christian, oh, well, you're at the front. You'll, you'll have to do a portable thing, you know, like the marching band. So there's your symbol. Right. So you're at the front, you, the drummer. And then, and then you're a song leader. Great. Well, here's some Hillsong and C3 and, and Jesus Culture worship music, contemporary worship. Sing to the Lord. Out you go. In fact, I think when it says he consulted the people, I think part of the consultation was probably to finding out who would volunteer for this. In fact, my guess is that he wouldn't have said, this is the job, who will volunteer? I think he would have said, who would like to volunteer? And then he would tell them what the job is. Oh, I'll volunteer for the king. Oh. Wow, wow. Now I've found out what I'm volunteering for. I mean, it's just a bizarre, isn't it? You've got all the army, you've got all the guys trained, and they're at the back. At the front, they've got the worshippers. And here come the chariots and the swords and the arrows. <laughs> and, it's, and it, you know, victory. Oh, God, please, oh, please give us victory. Oh. <clears throat> You'd be forgiven if you're a song leader and your voice is a little shaky that day, wouldn't it, really? A vast army. Imagine it. <laughs> you know? The battle is won by lifting Jesus higher. <laughs> it's just a great image, isn't it? It's just a great picture of how God does things totally out of the box. You put God in a box, he doesn't live there. He just is not in our box, you know. God is God. And he does things the way he does things. And we are continually having to just go, yeah, okay, I'll I'll go with that. And that's what these guys would have done. They'd sought the Lord, and then they're like, wow, if we hadn't sought God, it would have been so easy because this is freaking us out to have this band in the front. And yet, that was the key to success. If they strategized without God, they could have got all the right set up in the army, but such a vast army would have probably defeated them anyway. This way, they get this miraculous, weird thing going on where the other guys start killing each other. And, and that's a strategy any army wants to have. But you can't make that happen without God. So this was basically a declaration of their trust in God, of their prioritizing God is number one, to worship God right at the front of the army. And that's why we're called right throughout Scripture to praise God, to sing praises to God, to worship God, to give glory to God, because there's something supernatural about it. There's something that happens in the Spirit. And, of course, as I said before, physical lessons in the Old Testament translate to spiritual application in the New Testament. We're, going, we're not going out to kill people physically in our you know, neighborhood. We're, the Bible says we don't fight against flesh and blood, people. We're fighting against spiritual forces. But the principles we, principles we learn from the Old Testament, we apply in this spiritual battle in the New Testament. And so your praises to God have an effect that defeat the enemy in the spirit, in your life. And as I said, that's why the Bible tells us all the time. Listen, First Thessalonians chapter 5. Be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks to God in all circumstances for this is God's will for you in Christ. You know, And so there's a lesson for us because we don't always 
give thanks to God, do we? We're not always joyful. We're not always praising God straight, straight away. But you want to try that. If you're going into a tough situation, you're going into a, you know, a, a battle, you're facing a, a situation that, you know, is, it's like a, a, a battle against fear and, and doubt and worry and, and some tension, some challenge and all that. Well, rather than just worry or reflect on how terrible it's going to be or look at the circumstances, give praise to God. Just begin to thank God and you'll find things change. The enemy gets defeated. And, uh, and so there's a, you know, a wonderful lesson for us. And then the third thing about that whole battle is that statement that the guy who prophesies gives. He says, the battle is the Lord's. And so, again, uh, we get to choose. They, they weren't having to be afraid because it wasn't just their battle, they were signing up to God's army and God was going to give them success. And so you can decide to fight your battles on your own or you can say, God, I'm joining your army and I'm just finding my position, my rank in your army and success is guaranteed. We're going to win. And in this situation, they didn't have to do hardly anything but worship God. Other times were maybe a little more hand-to-hand combat. There is a battle, there is a fight. But there's always a sense of God's going to help us win. God's given us the victory. Jesus has already earned that victory on the cross. And we, you know, appropriate that, if you like, sometimes in our own personal walk, praying and believing and working and ministering and persevering and carrying on. But whatever battle you face, in whether it's a, a debt situation, financial sickness, in uh, a sense of destiny and lack of purpose and a battle in relationship fracture and breakdown and discouragement and doubts and fears whatever it may be we can we can decide i'm not going to fight this battle on my own i'm going to want to get into god's army yeah and uh, and and I'm, I'm guaranteed to win so jehoshaphat teaches us a few things doesn't he we want to make sure that we finish the job that we're called to do regardless of what people say. So he, he wasn't able to do that with the high places. And we also want to watch who influences us and, and what sort of a, a arrangements we have with, alignments we have with, with people and the connections that we have. And then we also want to model the fact that he was teachable, learning from people, and that he used the power of worship. And, uh, and we can apply that in our, in our walk and win the battle. Amen? We hope you have enjoyed this message and feel challenged and encouraged. Please let others know about this free podcast so they too can grow and learn to live their best life. You can find out more about our church and ministries at www.c3cc.org.au. God bless you.